Moving on? Moving on. Yes. Hulk. Hulk. Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And since we are talking about Adam Warlock and Strange Tales, we are dragging back in again, John Wilson. Hello, I feel dragged. No, I don't feel dragged at all. Strange Tales featuring Warlock. I am excited. This is the second issue of the Starlin Run. Easiest drag I've ever done. Much easier. Say what? I said it was the easiest drag I ever did. Having to drag somebody in. Yes. Much easier than getting engaged. Now that you dragged me in, does that mean I'm in drag? Potentially. Depends what you're wearing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Insert don't wear pants while podcasting joke here. <laughs> Although I am breaking that rule because I am wearing pants because my kids are getting up shortly and they probably would prefer that I wear pants when they come by. A little more than probably, I'm sure. Yep. Yeah, I'm actually wearing pants too, but that's because I already had to walk the dog, and my neighbors probably prefer if I do that with pants on. But speaking of not wearing pants, Adam Warlock. Yes, he's still in his old costume. I forgot he still. W- I thought Starlin put him in that newer costume with the cape right away, but no. My memory is that he does not get the cape and the skull brooch until after this initial arc with the Magus resolves. And, like, after this, he's got, like, a new look mm. as he's strolling about the universe. But I could be wrong. Well, we'll s- I'm willing to be wrong on that. That's just my memory. Well, we'll see. I don't remember either. It's been a little while, and I'm trying not to read ahead at the – except for when we prepare to record. <laughs> right. I'm right, not right. reading 180 until about a week or so before we're ready to do it. Or, in my case, an hour. That works, too. We do these morning recordings, I get up two hours earlier, and I read, and I drink coffee, and I have breakfast, and then we're ready to go. Oh, wow. See, yeah, we do these morning recordings, I get up about, well, I plan on getting up an hour, and then I hit the snooze button, and it's 20, 50 minutes, and then it's 45 minutes, and then it's 40, and then I get up and run around like a maniac, getting myself ready before we start. That's, that's another way of doing it. Yeah. Perfectly valid approach. It's called, I don't want to get up. This sounded great last night. This sounded good last night, but I don't want to go to school, ma. <laughs> and actually, I don't want to go to the school Adam's at right now because that looks scary. Yeah. So he's on the death ship, uh, trapped and helpless on the death ship, and he looks very, very angry. Um, Surrounded by lots of weird alien monster type creatures. Maybe his anger has to do with those tentacles. I'd be pretty angry if tentacles did things to me. True. They're coming towards him. And he also has one of those... They always seem to do it in, like, space things where, like, these, like... They're not handcuffs. They're, like, arm cuffs, and they trap your arms behind your body. Now, I have a question for you, Al. Sure. Are they coming toward him, or are they backing away afterward? Well, that would explain the anger. 
Anyway. Tickle, tickle, tickle. Yeah, that doesn't tickle. <laughs> you tickle me. Anyway, people probably wonder what the hell's going on, so let me drop a synopsis in here, and then we can get on with doing this. All right. Strange Tales number 179, Death Ship. Written, penciled, and inked by Jim Starlin. Colored by Glennis Oliver. Lettered by Tom Warshewski. Edited by Len Wein. Cover art, Jim Starlin. Original cover date, April 1975. On sale date, January 28th, 1975. Cover price, 25 cents. Adam comes across one of the Universal Church of Truth's gigantic starships, and after taking two pages to remember why he's after them, attacks. The ship's phasers, yes, phasers, blast him, and he is knocked out. He awakens to find himself bound and before the ship's captain, Autolycus. Autolycus leaves him in a dark cell surrounded by monsters, until they try to talk to him, and Adam realizes they aren't monsters, but bizarre, by humanoid standards, Sentient creatures. Using the light of his soul gem, Adam is able to gain knowledge and understand them. They explain they are prisoners of the church. Their worlds were devastated by the church because they were non-believers, and since they do not share the Holy Magus' bipedal form, they are to be killed and broken down chemically to see if any bits of them could be of use to the Empire. Adam is horrified by this, and also learns that there are some undesirable humanoid creatures who are also to be destroyed this way. Like trolls! In this historic moment, Adam meets the loincloth-wearing, cheap cigar-smoking Pip the Troll. While Pip and Adam start making plans for escape, the matriarch of the church, the church's temporal leader, has decided that even though Adam and the Magus are one and the same, Killing Adam might leave her as the sole leader, and that's worth the risk. She sends a message to Autolycus to have Adam killed. Autolycus is not happy because he believes in church justice, but is sworn to duty and to obey his orders. In the cell, the other prisoners ask Adam to lead their rebellion, but he refuses. He does not want to lead or be led. He tells a story, or parable, about a caveman named Grak, who came to rule his tribe because he was stronger than the others. He got the best food and women until Back felt they deserved better and staged the world's first coup. With the death of Grack, Back became leader and got the best food and women because that's how it was supposed to be. Adam explains that he does not want to rule anyone or be ruled. The others think he just doesn't want to go up against other bipeds like himself and leave to rebel on their own. Only Pip remains, and Adam tells him it didn't mean he wouldn't help. Pip knows the others have no chance about Adam. But when he goes to help him out of his bonds, Adam is gone. Adam then reappears and disappears all over the ship, methodically taking out the entire crew on his own, until only the captain is left. And one assassin, but he gets taken out pretty quickly. They fight, but Autolycus has been augmented and gets the drop on Adam, until the soul gem takes matters into its own hands and sucks out Autolycus' soul. Heavy-hearted by what was done beyond his control, Adam heads back to the other prisoners and sends them off with the ship to find a new world to start over as their own rulers. He takes a shuttle for himself. Yeah, he can and normally does fly in space on his own. We'll debate that later this episode. And finds Pip waiting for him 
The two new friends set off for Homeworld, with Adam explaining to Pip what is going on with him, the Magus, and the Soul Gem. If you aren't able to get an original copy of Strange Tales 179, here's a couple places that this story has been reprinted. Fantasy Masterpieces, number 9, cover dated August 1980. Warlock Special Edition, number 1, cover dated December 1982. Warlock, number 1, cover dated May 1992. Playbook, number 31, cover dated 1993, this is an Italian reprint. Marvel Masterworks Warlock, hardcover, volume 2, from 2009. Essential Warlock Trade Paperback, volume 1, from 2012. Warlock by Jim Starlin Trade Paperback, from 2014. Uh, here's another German reprint. Let's try this again. Die Official... Official... Marvel Comic Semalung, hardcover, volume 32, from 2016. And of course, digitally, on Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. Hey everybody, I'm Paul Spataro. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins, along with my friends Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books. We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at twotruefreaks.com. And we're back. So, now you want to know what the hell we're talking about. This story is called Death Ship, and uh, as we're making our way slowly into the plot of the Magus and the Universal Church of Truth, this is Warlock's sort of first step toward finding those people. Yeah, he's been he's found one of the Universal Church of Truth ships. So these first three pages, I mean, we have the big old splash page. We have two pages of recap. Yes. Um, which is kind of reminds us of what happened last issue. And one of the things to talk about last issue is that Starlin leaves the whole Jesus metaphor thing that had defined Adam Warlock, leaves it behind, but not at, until he has turned a big twist on it, which is kind of encapsulated in the last panel of page two. Oh, yeah, so, the, the aliens praying? Yes, as this religion was an organization of pious beings that preached goodness and love, but practiced enslaving a thousand worlds with the awesome political and material power of their church. So, um, yeah. Starlin has decided to turn the Jesus metaphor into a Christian church metaphor, specifically a medieval Christian church metaphor. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is pretty, uh, pretty fun. Oh yeah, but it's I mean it's a way of doing it because he's not continuing on exactly. He's doing his own thing. It's the all new series, but he's not completely getting rid of the themes from before. He's just expanding on them, right? In a, in a way that's consistent. It's just you know different. Yeah, and we get the reminder that the evil head of this church, Magus, is the same being as Adam Warlock. Yes, they are one and the same being. 
Dun dun dun. And it's real, real quick on these flashbacks. Did do you think he redrew all this, or is he like taking the original panels and like shrinking them? Because they look almost a lot of these look almost exact exactly like the old ones. You're right. I, they do, and I have to think he's cropping and and something. I don't know exactly what, but you're right that like the the big green picture of the Magus's face. And the dead girl on page two. Yeah, and the two of him realizing him and the Magus are the same person. It all looks so identical. So I imagine there's some some reproduction of, of, of images there. That one of the same being panel feels like it should be Cyclops, you know, bemoaning his cursed eyes. <laughs> um, My eyes! But then on page four, we well, to- it's, it's actually page six, because uh, four and five are ads. Um, but the fourth page of the story, we finally get to new material. Yes. He wanted to get that out of the way quickly. It's an interesting choice, I think, to take a 19-page comic and use three of your pages for splash page and recap, and not even getting to your story until you have 16 pages left. But that was the convention. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't him. And that was how you did it. That's how some people did it. I think some people were, were a bit more smooth on how they integrated the reminders into the story. Comics are not as short now as they will be, because they'll get down to 17 pages before too many more years go by. Yeah, and I'm almost wondering if maybe he was behind, and that's why he did it that way. Because there have been issues of Captain Marvel where he really integrated the flashback into the story. And he did some unique artwork to like make it d- different. And mm-hmm. in here, it's almost like you said, like you said, like he cut and like shrunk, put them, stuck them together on the board. And I almost have to wonder if maybe he was so back on dead, he was maybe back on deadline for this one that he just kind of had to do like, okay, let me just shove it up, cut the old panels out and just shove them on there real quick. Because he has done some unique stuff before. And just to go in your uh, theme of him being maybe a little bit rushed, I like the credits. You have the editor, the letterer, the colorist, and Jim Starlin's the finisher. Not in the sense of finishing, like, taking somebody else's pencils and, and embellishing them, but finishing, like, oh, my God, I got this book finished on time. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, I think I remember reading somewhere, hearing somewhere that, like, I think it was, like, him and Gerber used to, like, help each other edit, quote-unquote, edit their books just so mm-hmm. they could uh, and have put them in, like, late, just so, like, this and Howard the Duck wouldn't really get checked over. As we go through this series, that's definitely where his mindset goes. I'm not sure if he's there yet, but um, there, he's going to do some things in the series that only flew because nobody was able to stop them. Yeah, they, they was like, "Oh, it's too late." It's like it's got to go to the printer in 20 minutes. So you got you want to look at it or just send it in? I know that Marvel: The Untold Story details a lot of this mindset and approach to just because I mean. It's no secret that Starlin and others at Marvel spend a lot of their time not making comics, uh, doing recreational activities. Ex- mind-expanding activities, perhaps? Yeah. Which, you know, happened again in the early 90s with a lot of the people in Image who were so busy enjoying their millions of dollars that they didn't have time to actually finish their story arcs. True. There's a precedent. And that's true, because it says Len Wein's the editor, but I think he was actually the editor-in-chief at the time. I think that he just got the credit, and then just as editor, and all the like the individual writers kind of edited themselves a bit. Or... I forget exactly how that worked. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, Back to the how story. are you pronouncing this guy's name? 
Auto. Autolycus? Autolycus. Let's go with Autolycus. That's what it looks like. I wasn't sure if, I was, if, if we should be like, you know, fancy and try to be like Autolycus or something, but I like Autolycus because I see it and I think Autolycus. Well, it makes sense. Starlin's from Detroit, so, you know. <laughs> but I did have one last thought on page three, the last panel as Warlock is flying into the void. The Magus is evil, still flourishes and must be stopped. Yet can even I put an end to it? For is not the Magus's evil also my own? So now Adam is fearing that the dark evil might actually be inside him. That he actually might be evil himself. And if you notice on the ed- on the right edge of that panel, you actually have half the Magus's face. Is that Magus's face? Because it has Warlock's hair. Magus has... Or, or, well, it's, it's hard um, to tell. It has the Magus's skin, but Warlock's hair. Right. I just took it as like a shadowed coloring of the Warlock face. But it could be either one, I guess. But yeah, so he's captured by the uh, ship pretty easily. <laughs> they just shoot him once. Yeah, they shoot him with phasers. And I love that they shot him with phasers because this is during that weird time when there was no Star Trek. But Star Trek was still basically the biggest science fiction thing that anyone in this eight, that age bracket would have watched. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, the definition of cult classic. You had your this show that had ended that... You had this massive, strong following of. And are we in 1972? I think we're in 74, actually. Okay, time... 75. Okay, time flies by. So the, the even the cartoon is come and gone. Oh, okay. So it's already over. Yeah. And probably you're getting rumblings of Phase 2. I think we're getting underway around this time, because that was a... That was a long-term development hell kind of project before it eventually became the motion picture. Yeah, but yeah, so you're right. There's no Star Trek anymore. Star Wars is not even thought of yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, if they're talking a science fiction that's really going to impact the people this age right now, it would be either Doctor Who or uh, Star Trek. And uh, so they capture Warlock. He's in those those binders from the cover. And I like how he's all like, you know, self-righteous and demanding and and talking, you know, talking shit to Autolycus. And then he kind of looks around and trails off as he sees all all the the people around him. All the silhouettes of monsters. Right. He's like, uh, never mind. Lovely ship you have here. But on the next page, we find they're not monsters. They're just different looking aliens. And as soon as he's able to figure out their language, they have nice conversations. Yeah. So use of the soul gem. Translation. What do we think about that? I like the description as being scanning their minds. And so he's getting their mental communication or a mental understanding of their communications rather than like... Actually speaking it. Right. He's not getting a metamorphic translation of their languages so much as a mental understanding of their languages. Kind of like the universal translators in Star Trek. Except- they tap on mental waves more than on language. Oh, okay, I didn't know that's how they worked. Yeah. Or, well, that's how they were originally described as working, like whenever they were first introduced. But stuff changes, I guess, over time. Well, they got to figure out some way to make it work where everyone can, we, we can understand what they're saying. I can see that with the soul gem. I mean, that, that's a use I find fine with, because I was thinking the same thing along the lines you were, is that it's meant, it's more of a mental 
understanding of them, not exact translation of, well, this means uh, and this means land. Right. And they get to tell him their tale of woe. And they do it first. I like their their alien language fonts. The first one looks like a, a manga font. Like when the guys just right in the, the blue block letters that look, it's not, but it looks like it was designed to appear like Japanese comics manga font. In the next panel, you have several different scribbly fonts, one of which, the one like smack in the middle there, looks pseudo Japanese. Yes. The other ones look more just like scribbles. Then they tell him, they tell him what happened to them, how they're all not good enough to be slaves. They're not worthy of even being a member because they're not in the uh, holy form. Right. And, and Adam Warlock screams, By the gods, what madness is this? Which allows rational beings to so persecute their fellow reasoning creatures. And to answer Warlock in the words of Bo Burnham, because this is a metaphor for racism. Oh. Now, Obviously, well, obviously that. But did you spend time just staring at all these different aliens going, okay, evolutionary, how did this work, and how did this happen, and how did you function? You don't need arms when you're a large green alligator doing with beetles hair. I mean, I have to assume those legs, that's exactly what I was looking at, too. I have to assume those legs are, like, maybe triple-jointed, like where you can actually feed himself with his feet. I, I like to think that, yes. Well, he doesn't even have a mouth. Look at his face in the first panel. He doesn't have a mouth. He doesn't need to feed himself. Oh, you're right. He probably he probably has an ingestion orifice down in his crotch where his feet can reach. He probably puts in and poops out right next to each other because hmm. that's that's fun. Yeah. Now the one next to him I, I can deal with because that has you know that makes sense functionally at least. Plus, it actually I got to look at it later, but I swear there's a Star Wars creature from Return of the Jedi that looks a lot like that. Oh, the furry guy with six uh, appendages? Yeah. I do wonder about, like, little eye dude with the hand feet. Yeah. It's almost like the exact same problem as the green guys, only he probably does feed himself with his hands. Oh, and there's head hand guy. Yeah. Look at that first guy. He has fingers coming out of his neck. Yeah. Yeah, this is weird. Starlin's tripping. Yeah, and then there's the eyeball. Just a floating eyeball. Just a floating eyeball. He's like, the bug is the most sensible part. Yeah, the bug making me think of uh, Sikorsky from the uh, Star Jammers. He was the medical... Oh. He was the, yeah, he kind of looks like him. Yeah, because he was just a giant bug as well. And the eye, I'm just assuming the eye is looking for his green twin sister, who you know, got stolen by some empress. Well, now we get to the important part. Well, he would say it's the important part of the issue. Mm-hmm. The appearance of Pip the Troll. Pip the Troll! Now, when you're reading Pip the Troll, do you hear a little bit of Gilbert Gottfried's voice? I see you've heard of trolls before. Well, I assure you, any stories you've heard of trollish decadence are absolutely true. Pip the Troll at your service, sir. Okay, I wasn't before, but now, oh my god, I can't stop it. <laughs> Just the subject I wish to discuss. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Anyways, if I were reading this out loud, 
I would be reading him with a Gilbert Gottfried impression. Maybe not a great Gilbert Gottfried impression. I'll leave the, the listener up to decide, but, but that's how he would sound. See, before, I was kind of thinking of him as like a rough, gravelly, almost like a Ed Asner type voice. Uh-huh. But, oh my god, that's so awesome. <laughs> I don't know what it is about Pip the Troll. I mean, he rarely has like really good character moments, at least in the comics that I've read. But he's just such a fun idea to just like... He's this morally questionable troll that like, hangs around with the god of the universe. Yeah. And uh, helps him on his quest and smokes a cigar the whole time and makes cracks about Moon Dragon and Gamora being hot. Basically, yeah. Uh, well, basically, he's the, he's the court jester. I mean, in the old way of like where the court jester was the one who not only was the comic relief for the court, which Pip is, but also was the one that was able to tell the king the truth without getting you know, stabbed to death for it. Yeah, he can speak up to Warlock and, and he, you know, he, help Warlock maintain an even keel. He's like, yeah, you know, you've gone completely psycho and this is a bad idea. And that's basically Pip's function. He's the, like I said, he's the court jester. He's the one that Warlock takes these news, this news from the best. Even over Gamora, mm-hmm. I think, a lot of times. He will listen, he'll take Pip, you know, he's like, okay, if Pip thinks I've gone crazy, maybe I've gone a little too far. Right. And then we get to the matriarch, who is a, um, you know, kudos to Sarlin for making this female, because she's obviously standing for the Pope. Yeah. And it could have been just another dude, but this is a story full of dudes. So I don't, I, I only remember her having like a couple of story beats. Like I remember her being that much of a contributor to the story, but I do like her appearance here. You, I, you know, I didn't realize until now, she has like Princess Leia hair. Almost. She has Before the, Princess Leia. Yeah, she has the little buns on her head. Huh. Okay. So she was Leia-ing before Leia. Maybe that was a thing back then. I don't know. I didn't exist yet. Yeah, neither did I. 1975. Some of our friends did, but... I mean, I would later on, but not yet. In this year, but not yet. This is early 75, I believe. I was was an egg floating in in, in an ovary. I might have been... I might have been conceived by this point. I'm not sure. Okay. Actually, wait, September? Yeah, yeah. I, if it's 75 at all, then I was conceived. Well, good. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you were conceived. I exist! Yay! Little side note, she mentions if she can destroy... She's supposed to capture Warlock, yeah. or order her to capture Warlock unharmed. But if she could destroy him, she mutters about how wouldn't the Magus also perish? And then she, the church's temporal leader, could become the all-powerful leader of the church. And that's a little bit holy on Empire-ish. Um, if, you, if you don't know your European history, there was this period where the papacy and one of the more powerful European kings, Charlemagne, joined forces. And for a while, there was a sort of dual power structure. It didn't really work that well. And one of the reasons is that while the Pope was the representative of all spiritual authority, the king was the representative of all temporal authority, and so theoretically they're supposed to govern the world together, but really became like a, you know... Competing. Right. And it's a little bit different here, because she's the matriarch, so she's the head of the church, so she is religious, but the other person she's working with is God. So she has a bit more of a temporal stake, a this-worldly stake in rulership, than the Magus does. 
Yeah, the MAGA just kind of oversees everything and is just in charge of overall, but it's like, yeah, I'm in charge, but you guys deal with everything for me. Right. So she's a stand-in for the Pope, but the power struggle she describes here, she's more representing the, the king side of things, whereas Magus would be the Pope in that case. Yeah, well, she's, she's kind of a combination of the two, because she really is both. She's right. A, she's the religious leader and the physical leader, because this is a theocracy, so it's one and the same. But, but of course, Autolycus has to result to sex-shaming slurs whenever he describes her, because he doesn't like women. True. The blasted trollop wants me to murder Warlock. I mean, why you gotta go there? Why you gotta go there, Autolycus? It's not necessary. Mm, true. I don't, I don't like you very much. Oh. You were holding on for that one, weren't you? Actually, it just popped in. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I'm wondering, I guess she doesn't know much about time travel, because I, I would just assume, hmm, if I kill this guy that I work for before he became the guy I worked for, then the place I work that he built wouldn't exist. That's one interpretation. Sometimes the person just fades out of existence and everything else stays. Hmm. It all depends on who's writing your time travel. That's true. I guess she's hoping for that version. But anyway. So what do you think about... Um, yes. Page 14. Oh, is this the story of um, Grack? Yeah. And okay. Back. Grack and back, right? So Adam Warlock is there, and he's oh, like, yeah. okay. I forgot this um, is here. The caveman story. This this happened ages ago upon Earth, my homeworld. Okay, A, your homeworld, okay, kind of is Earth. We spent a lot more time on Counter-Earth. Also, you never knew this. You weren't around for this story. You're making shit up. Um, well, yeah. It's a, it's, it, it's a parable. It's, it's almost like I can see him making the words up as he goes. Like, okay, so, um, yeah, Grack. Yeah, Grack was this hulking brute of a caveman and, and, you know, he gathered stuff and he was the ruler. And then, um, and back. And, uh, back, 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 back. Yeah. So. Well, of course he's making it up as he goes along. It's a parable. I guess. Which is the only reason that, which is why this makes sense here. He's telling parables. Oh, he's Jesusing again, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, remember, it's, okay. now, it's now not front and center. I mean, that was mainly the first feature, but still, that's the character. So he still has to, you know, he's not going to all of a sudden change him to, you know, Hugh Hefner type character. Right. You know, it's not going to be always so get, the center, but it's there. But yes, yeah, so we have this parable about leadership. And how being a leader is always bad, because being a leader also means being an asshole. So I have to wonder how Adam Warlock would view... Like, what, what, I guess what he, he would want, like, a lawful anarchy or something? Yeah, I don't know. Because at the end, he tells them to lead themselves. He just he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to be the leader. Maybe he's still mourning over how bad of a job he did back on Counter-Earth, combined with his whole existential crisis of becoming the Magus. He doesn't want to be in charge. Perhaps. I mean, all I know is this issue of I mean, between those this page and one of the aliens. I spent like when I I remember first reading this, and most times I've read this, I'll spend like fifteen twenty minutes just staring at those pa- just thinking like, okay, so wait, how would this world work? <laughs> Especially with Back's hair in that last panel. What is even happening there? <laughs> oh yeah, well Back has like it's like spider webs, right? Yeah, his hair grow. Well, no, wait, that makes sense actually. Look at the Magus, according to Starlin, when you become evil, your hair grows. 
Oh, that's right. You are correct. I had I had forgotten Bax, about that law of Bax becoming evil and his hair starting to throw up. And grow and grow. It's gonna be like Marge Simpson soon. But yeah, so Adam Warlock won't lead them, but they all take it to, to mean he's not gonna bother helping. And so they go to revolt by themselves. It's like they just want him to lead for a minute to just like help them out to escape, not be their king forever, but he like takes it the wrong way and it's like, hmm, let's see, who should take, you know, charge of this escape? Uh, I've never been in a fight in my life, and I don't even have, I'm a floating eyeball. Or... I have no arms. Yeah. Or Adam Warlock, who's only captured because the ship's phasers on, like, you know, had to act, you know, from the ship actually had to shoot him out of the sky. Not just the handgun. You know, the actual cannons on this ship had to knock you out. You and, might and... be qualified. As a side bonus, he has both of his arms. Exactly. Be like if I was- he has his arms, he has his legs, he can speak, he has not just eyeballs, but like head and body around the eyeballs. Yeah. Be like I was in, I was in a jail and with Wolverine, and Wolverine's like, well, you got to get us out of here. What, you want me to be in charge of <laughs> the escape? I'm like, yeah. Mr. Sharp Metal Claws and Invulnerability, or, well, actually, in this case, Miss Sharp Metal Claws and Invulnerability? Yeah, yeah, you, I'll, I'll help, I'm right behind you, I'm not gonna carry it out, but yeah, you should probably be the one in front. And in that bottom row of panels, we have a brief appearance of Drax the Destroyer. That so does look like Drax, doesn't it? I think that's also him in the next panel, where he has an eye patch on the other eye, so it looks less Draxy there, but that one profile shot looks like Drax. I like the little smile on his face in that, in that panel with the eye patch. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I have a big old phallic symbol guy. And I'm gonna kill people. Yay! Yay! But he doesn't get to. Because Warlock, Warlock's him. Yeah, we get the shadow of Warlock. And then Captain starting to get noticed about the, ship, about the riot, but unfortunately his uh, notification gets knocked out too. And they refer to him as the Warlock. Which I thought was weird. It doesn't. It's not a reference that lasts very long, but it happens a couple times in this comic. And I don't know if he was using it to maybe to try it out as like an opposition to the Magus. Mm. So swears the warlock. Yeah, don't do that, Adam. Yeah, well, no one here is going to be able to tell anybody about it, so it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> this ship is done. <laughs> it is. Hello, listeners. It's your friend, PJ Frightful. That's PJ, as in podcast jockey. And I'm dropping dreadful new episodes every two weeks. When the clock strikes midnight, the podcasting hour shines a candle on the dark corners of DC Comics. Those supernatural sagas of Swamp Thing, Dead Man, The Spectre, and more. The podcasting hour. It's a rotating anthology series boasting the terrifying talents of Ryan Daly, Rob Kelly, Paul Hicks, Ben Avery, Doug Zavisha, and other unfortunate souls. Prepare for the unexpected, open a doorway to nightmare, and enter the houses of mystery and secrets. The moon is full, and the dark spirits are rising. For it's midnight, the podcasting hour. Coming this Halloween, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. 
Beware. And at the bottom, the time had come for me to live up to my given name. A warlock's home is shadow. His movements are those of the wind. His code is silence. His virtue is surprise. I became a true warlock. Whoever said that that's how warlocks acted? I've never heard anyone say that about warlocks. First, you're making up shit about cavemen. Now you're making up shit about warlocks just to sound cool. Yeah, I've never heard of that about Warlocks too. Now, granted, most of my experience of Warlocks is watching Charmed. But none of the Warlocks they fought were like that. They talked a lot. I always think about Gargamel on the Smurfs. Yeah, Gargamel was not of the wind, and his code was not silence. <laughs> his virtue was stupidity. He tried for surprise. He did try for that. I'll give him the I'll give him this. I'll give him surprise. But the rest? No. No, 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 no. So this whole sequence reminds me of Goku fighting through Muscle Tower. Mmm, yeah. This page of just Warlock beating people up randomly. Like, just all of a sudden appearing and knocking them out. Right, and making his way up the levels and past the stairs and working way toward the top, and Commander Red is up there at the top, Autolycus. Yeah. By the way, the four panels on the right with the stairs are my favorite. Oh, Yeah. Because one guy goes up and gets whacked down, the next guy goes up. <laughs> well, because you got the guy standing guard at the bottom of the stairs, and the one guy going up, and all of a sudden he, the guy going upstairs gets knocked down the stairs. So the other guy starts to run towards the stairs to go up them, and then he's knocked out before he even gets to the stairs from the other side. It's like Warlock's in a 1980s video game, and he knows there's a secret entrance on the one side that brings you out on the other. <laughs> And he it's like went. Great. He went out the one side and popped on the other. I I love this page though. This is so much fun. It is good, and a lot of these panels are just like little two panel gags. You know, it's like guy guy gets smashed. Guy p- poked you on the shoulder, huh? Wump. Or the two guys standing together. You see the eyeballs of Warlock behind them, and next you know, poof, the heads right. knock together. There's something so satisfying about their helmets clunking together. Let's let's see. We have one, two. Whoops, engage. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight sound effects of people being knocked out, and they're all different. We got arg, wump, whack, cack, katoo, rack, batok, and stock. Also, kudos to Starlin for giving us a 17-panel page that doesn't feel cluttered. Yeah. Like, there's a lot going on on this page. But it also, it's just a bunch of little gags. It doesn't feel... I, I, if there were any dialogue bubbles, I have feeling, or, or if, there were, if the captions were more than just up at the top, this would not feel nice as nice as it feels. Yeah, because you'd need room... For, you'd have to cram in the words then, but because he doesn't need to, because we know what he's doing, but it's t- still... This expands the story. It's not just random splash, you know, a random splash page just to do a splash page. We're mm-hmm. actually seeing Adam go through the crew, knocking them out. Plus, as I said those words, I think I think Starlin also invented a couple words in Klingon. Oh, yeah? Because some of those definitely sound like Klingon. <laughs> I mean, come on. Patok and Stok. Right. Because <laughs> I don't think Klingon existed yet. Not as a language. Nope. No, it didn't. The The first Klingon language was spoken on screen in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Okay. And that was, that was before the Okudas actually turned it into a language. So we get to the next page, and he's, like, calling out for his arm and his leg. <laughs> Montrose, arm, leg, report. 
And he's like, I'm here, Commander Red. I mean, uh, sorry, Aralicus. <laughs> right. Which metaphor am I doing again? <laughs> Hold on. Wait a minute. Where are we? And they have a brief discussion of um, evil and duty. And and Autolycus refers to his enhanced abilities as X-Powers, which I thought was interesting, especially since X-Men was getting revived right around this time. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that, too. I mean, he's, it's basically just enhanced strength and reflexes. and He's like a souped-up Captain America. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I like that, though. It says, uh, massive strength, highly developed senses, and electric Reflexes. Pika? Exactly. Also the best combat training in the galaxy. Yeah. And he has an electro whip. Yeah, he does. And they fight. And it's a good fight. It's a cool fight scene. But Warlock is not winning, necessarily. Like he's giving it. He's he's getting as good as he's giving. He's not necessarily going to win this fight. In fact, he starts to wonder that he's about to die. When suddenly... The Soul Gem comes out. And so we really start getting into this whole va- Soul Gem as a vampire thing. Yeah, this is where that comes... And this is kind of what I always linked with the Soul Gem, was the whole feeling that Soul's a big vampire. Whenever we were reading through the Roy Thomas stuff, and he first used the Soul Gem, my mind was comparing that to its vampiric abilities. So, but this is the first time we really see that start to happen. Now, were you waiting for it to happen when we were reading that other stuff, or did you know it didn't happen until Starlin? I was kind of waiting for it to become this, and I did not remember when that started happening. Okay, so each issue, you're like, is it going to happen now? No. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so um, it sucks out Autolycus' soul and basically brings it into itself. Which is really where the name Soul Gem kind of takes a new meaning and becomes, like... You think of it in the future going forward as the soul gem because it's the land of souls. Exactly. In fact, I just realized this. Adam Warlock is kind of like a... Do you remember the character Mr. Z from Superman in like the uh, 90s? Oh, yeah. I mean, he basically did the same thing. He just had... He had a, he had a soul gem, too. He just kept on walking. On a cane, right? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I need to reread those. Because that's where I am right now in my Superman reading. I just finished the Blackout story, which is like the last time Mr. Z appears. Okay. I am in 1971. <laughs> a little bit behind you there. Yeah. Yeah, just a tad. But yeah, it's the same thing. It sucks him in and Adam gets all of a... Uh, we get a little, we get a little um, montage almost in one panel of uh, Autolycus' whole life. And the description of how this happens is that, like, all this time, the Soul Gem has been, like, obeying him, and, and he's been using the Soul Gem, and he's been trying to employ its power, but now it's just doing this all on its own. Soul Gem is, like, coming to life with its own motivational force and sucking it out of like us. It's like, yeah, no, we're not going to deal with this. I'll take care of this. Don't worry. Right. And there's Autolycus laying there, basically physically alive. But mentally dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so well, I guess here it takes out your soul. And I guess your mind, I guess at least here, as far as Starlin's concerned, the soul and the mind are connected. So if your soul's gone, so is your mind. Yeah. I mean, I've heard the soul described as the mind, will, and emotions. The, the Greek word for soul is psyche. Uh, so I, it, basically, to me, the soul is everything going on in your mind besides the electrical charges of gray matter. It's like 
all of the you that is in your head. That's your soul. Well, because I've I've seen a couple different versions of like things where like souls have been used. Like um, if you're watching Supernatural, there's a season where one of the main characters doesn't have a soul. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's still I've seen that stuff. Yeah, and so it's still him. It's just him unfettered by because he doesn't have a soul. There's no conscience or anything of you know remorse or anything about that because that's not there's no reason for that to affect him he doesn't have it i'm less fond of those kinds of interpretations because they don't make as much sense well they make sense if you want to have your main character actor be around still and you're paying him (laughs) and i must say soulless sam was funny he was damn funny though (laughs) there's a really humorous misspelling on here Uh, okay in panel four, he says, This damned gem, which even as I stood there in despair, hummed in gluttonous satisfaction. What curse had linked me to such an infamous entity? And gluttonous, of course, you know, gluttony it, it has just feasted on a soul, and full and happy and everything. Except he doesn't write the word gluttonous there. He writes the word glutinous, which is like gluey and and sticky and tacky. Well, have you ever so, eaten a soul? How do you know what it tastes like? <laughs> it's like smacking his lips on the slime in his mouth. Mm, <laughs> oh, it's gross. <laughs> I don't know what it tastes maybe, like. Maybe the soul that thinks of it that way. Maybe Autolycus' soul is particularly glutinous. Yes. Anyways... And the very next panel, as if struck by lightning, it occurred to me that Jem might be responsible for the Magus's existence. Again, the idea that this evil is inside him. And if the soul gem is killing people, maybe that's going to help inspire him to become evil. Yeah, because that becomes now an easy way to deal with problems. Just take their soul. Right. I mean, it's not even just killing them. It's, I'm going to steal your soul. I can see why that would uh, inspire some worry for him. Yeah. Because it's one thing to kill somebody, but I mean, especially if they if you believe in a exist, existence beyond the physical one that your soul goes to afterwards, taking their soul basically means I'm not only just killing you here, I'm stopping you forever. Yeah, doesn't matter what happens after this world, you're still stuck. You know, you're not going there. Right. So I mean, if you believe that and they believe that, that's kind of a, a little bit extra evil. And I like that second panel of this Autolycus's eye. Just staring at you blankly. It reminds me of the blank stare of the girl back in the recap. Oh, yeah. And she was dead, and theoretically his body might still be working, although he's pretty much as good as dead and probably will die soon. Well, yeah, because he's leaving um, there, so he's just going to die because he knows that soul's not coming back. So, Right, so if his heart is still beating, it's not going to be for very much longer. And it, before the death of the girl was caused by... The Magus's troops, and now this is caused by Warlock's own gem and self. Yeah. And then he find everyone finds him. They're like, "Oh, you did do it. Okay, never mind. We we thought you were a jerk, but I guess we're wrong." <laughs> Sorry, we thought you were a jerk. And we have his little his little philosophy on leadership. Fools. And he really talks with his hands there. Yeah. Fools allow others to rule them. Wise men rule themselves. Oh yeah, and we get the whole... Warlock's Italian side comes out. They're all backing up. You can see more space between the people because they're backing up because they're worried about getting hit by the flailing arms. (laughs) So, he boards a ship, and my first thought was, what does God need with a starship? Because Warlock (laughs) always just flies through space. 
I think he only gets in the ship to conveniently run into Pip in the ship. Possibly, although it also, I mean, before he had been searching, it didn't say on the first page he had been searching out for, like, the Universal Church, like, where to go. He just knows they exist. But this would actually have information and coordinates and locations. Okay. So, I could, no, it's not said, I mean, they don't say it, of course, but I, I can see a reason for using the ship besides having Pip, although it does make it very easy to have Pip along. Right. But, I mean, it, I can see at least a reason, a use for the ship is that he now knows where to go. And, real quick, I just realized now, because it just looks like, now, earlier, it just looked like he's knocking out those guys before, when he bangs their heads together. But he's telling everyone to take the ship and free the prisoners and find a new world. That mean everyone actually is dead? Did he actually kill everybody on the ship that wasn't a prisoner? Um, that's a good question. Yeah, that's it. Mm. Because if he's saying take the ship and free the other prisoners, but if you're if you're freeing all the prisoners, then taking the ship becomes a lot easier if they're still alive. Yeah, but the question is, what's going on? I mean. I don't know, just wondering, like, did he kill everybody on there, or are they just going to, like, stick him with life pods and, like, shoot him out into space, or what? Right, it feels like it could go either way. Yeah, I'm just, I was just curious. Maybe he did kill them, maybe that's a little bit part of the whole evil coming up. <laughs> you know, he just killed all these guys and didn't even think about it. You know, Mr. Life is Precious, meanwhile, just killed 20 people. Right. But um, but he finds Pip and he tells him his whole story, the whole thing about him being the Magus, which I kind of think was a risky move. I mean, Pip's chill, but you don't know exactly that Pip's going to be chill. No, but I guess he had to, at some point he had to talk to somebody. Truthfully, even when he's always had friends in the series before, I mean, has he actually ever had somebody to talk to, really? I mean, he had Jason and uh, the other the, the other people from the first series, but... They were kind of hang, not hanging. Worshipful. Around. Yeah, they were more com- confidential for him. They were followers, not friends. And whereas Pip the Troll is not his peer on any kind of power level, um, he does just he's, he kind of just blows off Warlock's power level. It's just like, yo, you're a dude. I'm a dude. Let's go, dude, bro, around space. You're kind of cool. Let's go, dude, bro, around space. It's like you're kind of cool. Let's go see. We got, let's go do stuff. Why not? I got nothing. Wow, nothing better. To I do. thought I had troubles being a troll. <laughs> I mean, between your runaway other self and that vampire jewel of yours, okay, I'm I'm, I'm no longer Godfrey. I'm just like in some weird space. Um, <laughs> Warlock does ruminate on killing himself, which you know, in a good way, like killing the evil despot you'll become one day. Yeah, and it would be like killing himself, because it is him. It's his future self. He has a death to look forward to now. Yay! Well, that's good to have after plans. Turning, after turning evil for 5,000 years. You say that like it's a bad thing. Well, you know what it makes me think of? Is that Adam Warlock spent a whole lot more time as the Magus than he does as Adam Warlock. Yes. Which means, which one is really his default state? Well, I guess it'd be like see, it'd be like you as a child at like fourteen years old seeing yourself as fifty. You're gonna spend a yeah. lot more time as an adult than you will as a child, right? I mean, even, hmm. even if you go with the actual default saying I am a child until I am eighteen years old, and then from eighteen on I am an adult, you're still so much. I mean, 
look back at yourself just 20 years ago. And imagine 20 years ago yourself looking at you now. And not knowing yeah. not knowing how it got there or everything that happened. Just getting like a quick snapshot of you. That is weird. The, Stop that. I mean, <laughs> the other uh, a couple months ago I was mowing the lawn and my wife had put up a little thing like a flower bed. And it was too close to the lawnmower, so I, I didn't want to use the trimmer because it would kill the flowers in there. So since it was just that little bit over there, I just grabbed the clippers and just started clipping it on, you know, cl- clipping it. And I realized halfway through, it only took like five, ten minutes. But I was partway through, I'm like, I'm on my hands and knees clipping the yard, the lawn with hand trimmers. Like, if I, could see, if I was 15 years old and could see myself now, I'd be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, you loser sellout. While this is not a show where I'm getting a ton of email, or any, I am still thankful for all of you who listen, and obviously download the show, but also share or retweet or whatever us on social media. So I do want to take the time to thank those people who do. We're talking right now about our last episode, number 71, which was the outtake episode, and on Twitter it was retweeted by Chronicles Podcast. Eric Mannix and Jason Snick Venable, and liked by Chronicles Podcast, Jeffrey Brown, Tyson Jeffrey, Eric Mannix, and Jason Snick Venable. On Facebook, the post was liked by Joe Sedano, Chris Matthews, Ryan Daly, Joe Crawford, and Michael Lane. And that's it for that episode. But we are not done yet. We are going to thank a few more people who like and follow our blog on Tumblr, and also probably scroll up some Tumblr names because they can get weird. Let's see. We got Selinch, Mistress Death 666, which sounds familiar, Lolly Land Girl, Alpha Warrior 539 blog, and Empty Heart Fervor. Because there's two V's and two R's, and I've done a name like that before. Don't know. I don't think I'm repeating anything. I thought I was doing new from the last time. Oh well. If you got thanked twice, cool. Good for you. You too can be thanked by retweeting or sharing our posts on Twitter at Adam Thanos Pod. You can even just talk to us about comics in there. Ask Jeffrey Brown. I'll talk comics. On Facebook, just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos. It pops up. Our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Send an email, resurrectionpodcast at yahoo.com. I'll read your email. I promise. Just because I haven't done that, I haven't read anyone's email in a while, doesn't mean I won't read yours because yours will be the only one. And, if you're not sick of me by now, go over to the Pop Culture Palace at thepopculturepalace.com. We have another podcasting feed on there. The most recent episode from when this comes up would be Al's Bronze Age Mystery Box, episode 6, in which I talk about Adventure Comics 414 from the 70s, featuring stories of Supergirl, Satana, and Animal Man. Here we are for the Friends and Enemies part of the show, where... You don't know this by now, and you should, because I say it almost every episode. This issue had a cover date of, what was that again, April 75? April 1975. April 75. So we are talking about the other issues that had a cover date of April 75 that either Adam or Thanos have appeared in before. And first off, we have Avengers number 134, The Times That Bind by Steve Englehart, Sal Buscema, and Joe Staten. The origins of Mantis and the Vision continue. Revealing more of the history of the Kree, Skrulls, and Kotai, and recapping the history of the original Human Torch. Meanwhile, Moondragon arrives at Avengers Mansion, where she has a disturbing encounter. 
Yeah, this was a really interesting time period for Avengers. Uh, I've heard the Celestial Madonna saga get slagged on a bit, and I'm not really too keen on exactly how all that played out in the end, but the actual journey of that story is really interesting. And, and Avengers was weaving back and forth between the monthly book and the giant size quarterly book. Yeah, because I and so it's like giant size three and four are involved in this whole story, right? And of course, Steve Englehart loves continuity and loves doing stuff with continuity. And this is where he brings in the idea of the Vision and the original Human Torch being tied together, which Roy Thomas would continue to develop even further down the road. And obviously, Englehart loves this is the whole Mantis story. And he likes Mantis, too, because I know he's used versions of Mantis at both DC and at some independent company. Right. And I misspoke. Roy Thomas had already had his run. He he first hinted at the connections between Vision and Human Torch. Englehart's doing more with it, and then the, the others will do more with it later. But yeah, yeah. I've always, I've always wanted to read this because, like I was saying before, like my my first real crossover was Inferno. I bought everything, and Avengers three hundred was part of that. And in the, in the back of Avengers three hundred, they had like a little Marvel Universe handbook pages for Avengers, where they listed like all the you saw you saw every single member of the Avengers, and they actually listed all the issues that they were in. Oh, wow. Up to the 300. So you could see what issues the Hulk was in, what issues Cap was in, etc. I was really fascinated at that point, not by the characters who were in, like, every issue or a lot, like Iron Man or Cap or Thor, but, like, oh, wow, Hulk's in, like, 1, 2, 100, and, like, one other one, or, like, Mantis is in, like, 15, 20-ish. Swordsman's, like, 20, and then, like, 100, and, like, 115, like... That fascinated me. And then he has a run where he's part of the team. Yeah, which is right around here, or I think he just died, actually. Mm-hmm. So this era, I'd have a chance to still fully read it, but it always fascinated me, because like, you have like, Swordsman and Mantis, and even uh, Black Widow joins like an issue or two, around like 111, 112, and then goes away again. Yeah, so I, I forget the details of, of all the membership, but yeah. And Moondrag, of course, and Hellcat is going to be coming soon, and like they're just brief members, and I always found that interesting. Like, wow, I want to see this. Well, this is collected in the Celestial Madonna trade, so you could you could get that whole run there. Steve Englehart does well if you if you read his entire run of a book, and he was doing uh, he was doing Captain America at the time, and he did a pretty solid job of weaving Captain America's narrative in and around his involvement with the Avengers. He made that coherent. Daredevil one twenty and a Hydra New Year by Tony Isabella, Bob Brown, and Vince Coletta. While Matt attempts to mend fences between Foggy and Natasha, Hydra attacks. Yeah, I don't know Daredevil from this era at all. I see Black Widow's on the cover, but she is not part of the uh, masthead. No, not anymore. Um, she was part before when they were in San Francisco, but now he's back in New York. Okay. Yeah, this is beyond my Daredevil uh, experience. Yeah, because I think they already broke up because basically he met Moondragon. He's like, uh, honey, Moondragon's going to stay with us for a while. And she's like, Duff, you say? Uh, what? I'm out of here. Which she should. <laughs> that, is a, that is definitely an appropriate response. I mean, I don't know, maybe Daredevil's bra- braille reading some early Wonder Woman. He's like, hey, he did it. Why can't I? Right. Honey, we're going to have her live with us, too. It's going to be great. Moving on yeah. to... FF. All right. Fantastic Four, number 157, The Endgame Cometh, by Roy Thomas, Rich Buckler, and Joe Sinnott. 
While the Fantastic Four escape their bonds and search the castle for Doctor Doom, the Silver Surfer is unknowingly being drained of energy to power the Doomsman 2. I've maybe read this because it has Silver Surfer in it, but it doesn't look familiar. I have not. This is... I'm pretty sure Fantastic Cast has passed this point. Yeah, I'm I'm certain. I'm not up there yet, but I'm pretty sure they have passed it already. Because I think they're near like at least the 160s or 170s. I'm just looking them up real quick. The Fantastic Cast at ffcast.libsyn.com uh, Here we go. Uh, episode... Oh! Episode 200th. Uh, they covered this issue in episode 200? Uh-huh. That's a weird issue to have for your centennial. Okay, 186 is the latest issue of Fantastic Four that they're up to. Dang. Yeah. 186. Yeah, I'm still behind. I'm up to uh, episode 213. It's the last one I listened to. And they're at 262 now. Yeah. Okay, so they're cruising along. Yeah. So if you want to hear about the, actually get some information on this issue, go listen to Fantastic Cast 200. Because I don't know what the hell's going on there. <laughs> I'm not even sure what that big yellow thing is. I guess, well, I guess that's the Doomsman. Is this still when Medusa was part of the team? I don't know. I guess it is. She's on the cover. Huh. All right. Moving on. The Incredible Hulk, number 186, by Len Wein and Herb Trimp. The Hulk lies unconscious while everyone reels over the death of Glenn Talbot, and a Russian <gasps> spy takes the opportunity to steal the, Dev- the Devastator suit. Will the Hulk wake in time to save Hulkbuster base from certain destruction? The death of Glenn Talbot? Oh, Again? no. <laughs> Didn't he die already? Wasn't he, quote-unquote, dead when we did the uh, issues of Adam Warlock, the three-parter? Oh, he that's right. He was, yeah, he was fake dead. Everyone thought he was dead, but he wasn't really dead. Now he really is dead? Oh, my gosh. The question is, is he really dead? Hmm. The question is, what the hell is the Devastator wearing on the cover? A bird suit, obviously. Yeah, he looks like a reject from a... Oh, God, what's that show? <gasps> Battle of the Planets? <laughs> wow. That's reaching back. I don't remember that one very well. I've never seen it, but I, it, they've had a couple of series, comic series, and I know I've seen the artwork a lot of times. But yeah, that's what he looks like. He looks like um, Bulk. From uh, early Power Rangers episodes, wearing one of those costumes. Like, he stole one of the costumes from Battle of the Planets. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I really can't take take him seriously. So, Glenn Talbot... um, I'm trying to figure out if he ever actually did die. He's the Kenny of the Hulk books. (laughs) You killed him, you! Yeah, okay, so... After, he's in several issues after this. <laughs> he, he continues to appear in Incredible Hulk um, off and on into the early 1980s. Issue 260. And then nothing until Rampaging Hulk in 1998. Wow. Um, so he's in that series for six issues, and then again nothing until one issue of World War Hulk, which might be a, a flashback cameo, but then two issues of Incredible Hulks, 619, 620. So 
he's basically been gone since since the early eighties. He's been brought back for a couple of things, but I don't know if that Rampaging Hulk series, if that's like a flashback series or what. I don't know why it's so important to me that I find out that where Glenn Talbot exists, but um, I just find it interesting that he has fake died so many times. Well, it is because I was actually thinking about looking that up, and you stopped me. You did it for me, so that's why it's important. Well, there you go. Courtesy of the Complete Marvel Reading Order website at cmro.travis-starns.com. Or just, you know, Google search Complete Marvel Reading Order and... And or, enjoy the festivities. Or just go to the links on the episode notes, because they'll, they'll be in there. Yes. That is where, courtesy, where most of my synopsis comes from for the episode, for the issues. Now, there were lots of giant-sized issues this month. Giant-sized Conan, giant-sized Defenders, giant-sized Kid Colton, giant-sized Spider-Man, giant-sized Werewolf, but no giant-sized Man-Thing. Hmm. Sad face. Just a regular Man-Thing. Sad panda. Oh, we do have one more issue, though, for the Friends and Enemies. Yes. We have Thor, number 234, by Jerry Conway, John Buscema, and Joe Sinnott. And do you want to know what happened in that issue? Well, go yell at the Complete Marvel Reading Order, because they don't have a synopsis. <laughs> and I can't um, find one anywhere else, either. So, uh, it's Thor fighting Loki. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. I, I've read this, but I was plowing through Thor pretty, pretty quickly. The Fury of Fire Lord. So maybe Fire Lord has an early appearance here. Now, I, but, am, I am interested in this issue for one reason. I'm looking on ComicBookDB, and I can see the listing of the characters listed in there. Now, obviously Thor, mm-hmm. Loki, Odin, Lady Sif, Hercules, Fireword, even Iron Man and Jarvis. Okay, there's an appearance of the Avengers. But we also have an appearance by Samuel Happy Sam Sawyer. That was Nick Fury's commanding officer in Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. Yes, it was. I do remember seeing his name in Thor and going, oh my gosh, that's him. I forget if he, like, he gets involved with S.H.I.E.L.D. Or, or if he's just an old man in that. I forget how it happened. I'm kind of curious about this issue just to see what the hell is he doing there. And it's not entirely, if I remember right, if I remember correctly, it's not entirely clear that it's Happy Sam Sawyer, like, He's Sam Sawyer, but, like, they don't go and, like, put a pin in it and say, this is from such and such time. Yeah. I think you have to, like, be aware of your of your, of your your continuity. Yeah, he apparently was in the last issue of Thor, too. Because for the most part, up until here, he really just appeared in either Sergeant Fury or Combat Kelly. Right, because he's not a current day. Yeah, he's from World War II, but then he's there. I mean, he has an appearance in Invaders, but then he's also in Marvel 2-on-1... Wow. He appears in like a few random issues in the late 70s, early 80s, and then jump ahead to Marvel Comics Presents 77. Okay, I remember this storyline. Loki actually unleashes attacks on Earth, like against the army. Or at least the army brings out their forces to try to stop Loki, and Sawyer is a general. He Ah. is old. He still has his, you know, always distraught face. This is an interesting period for the for the for the Thor comic. I only, I guess I, I only have vague memories because I was kind of plowing through Thor at this time. wasn't always stopping to smell the roses, but Odin didn't have his memory, so he was living with this woman in a shack in the country. Um, Fire Lord is in here with the Avengers and the Asgardians because the Asgardians, I think, were living. No, no, they weren't. Never mind. It's a different thing. But yeah, Thor two thirty four. Jerry Conway's run. 
Yeah. Conway does cause good does good comics. Uh, like I said, I just that just caught my eye. I was like, Happy Sam Sawyer, what the hell's this guy doing here? Yes, he's being general of the army and being morose. As is his want. Mm-hmm. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. Now, I used to work at a comic store. used to work at two. I've bought plenty of new comics. But over the last couple years, I've kind of gone more into a digital-only thing. Partially before a budget reason. I mean, sorry, but Marvel Digital Unlimited is a great deal. <laughs> and a space reason as well. If I had all of my actual comics in this house, I would probably lose at least a whole room, if not two. And then I would be divorced. Or at least in a crap ton of trouble. But I still do buy physical comics. To have a sto- see a store that has you know, a good cheap bin, I'll pick up a few things there for the cheap, because what the hell. And the one thing I've decided I will still buy is books for the show. Because while I do a lot of these episodes with the digital versions, that's only if I don't have the physical. I would prefer to use the physical comic for the podcast. The other reason I haven't bought as many physical copies while I'm living here in Florida is that there just wasn't a store nearby. I mean, there are stores nearby, but nothing really convenient. I have to go way out of my way to get to them. I only have gone there a couple times. Until the other day, when I was off of work... And I was driving out doing some errands, and I passed by a bus bench that had a sign for a store called the Comic Spot. So I went in there. And yes, not about ten minutes from me, in a very convenient location that I drive by a lot, there now is a comic store that just opened up. In case you live in the Riverview, Florida area, this is in the Lowe's Plaza parking lot on 301 in Gibsonton. And I stopped in, because I'm going to stop in when I see a new comic store. Owner was very nice. They're getting set up. They haven't got to their official grand opening yet, even though they are open. That will be actually on January 27th, if anyone wants to go. I won't be able to, because I already am scheduled for work that day, so I'll be stuck there instead. But anyway, so I wandered around to look for something to buy, and ended up picking up Guardians of the Galaxy 150, which shows on the cover The Return of Warlock. And no, we're not talking about the shape-shifting alien from New Mutants. Although I do like that Warlock, too. So I picked that up and read it. Now, it's been a while since I found a book that was five bucks that I didn't feel ripped off for paying five bucks for. So, good job, Gary Duggan, for writing that story. But yes, this does have the return of Adam Warlock and the beginning of a story called Infinity Quest, reading to a new Infinity crossover type thing with Marvel. And this would go into the category of buying for the show. So I might be buying new comics on a regular basis again, or at least semi-regular basis. In case anyone's interested, by the way, after this issue, which has Warlock, he's going to next appear on February 7th in Infinity Countdown Adam Warlock number 1, which I will be getting. And while there, I also picked up a copy of the Marvel previews, because those are free. So these are previews for January, for stuff shipping in March. And we have a few things related to the Adam Thanos Mythos. We have Infinity Countdown Prime number one, written by Gary Duggan, art and cover by Mike Diodato. So here's the solicitation. The Infinity Stones. Individually, they grant their wielder great power. 
Together, they grant the power of a god. Newly reformed and scattered throughout the universe, these artifacts allow the ones who claim them their heart's desire. Now, as their locations are discovered, forces converge for a battle that will begin the universe down a dark path to the end. Jump on this through this exciting ride that will lead to the biggest infinity yet. Plus, the saga of the Infinity Stones. Who they are and how they came to be. From creation to, destru to destruction to recreation. This Preuss primer will tell you everything you need to know about the legendary cosmic gems. Okay, I'm going to get that. And there also is an ad for Infinity Countdown number 1, written by Gary Duggan, art by Aaron Kruder. The saga of the Infinity Stones begins. As the Infinity Stones re reappear around the cosmos, the ultimate race for power is on. Battles will be fought, blood will be spilled, lives will be lost. As all of the greatest cosmic heroes and villains vie for possession of the Power Stone, towering over a remote asteroid, somehow grown to the size of a building. Watch as the path to infinity opens your eyes and the end lies near. So, that's not bad. Two issues for that month. I'm sure more will be coming out in future months. But for now, I can deal with that. So, yes, I will be getting those. Probably not going to talk too much on the show about them. I still like my plan right now of sticking with this Bronze Age with Adam. The only thing we're really going to be doing present time is me and Brian are going to get back into the Thanos graphic novels by Jim Starlin, and we're probably going to do the new ones also he's doing, which feature Thanos and his brother Eros. But I don't know how much we're going to jump to new stuff right away. If the story's really, really that awesome, maybe I will. But as of right now, my plan is to get to the that when I would get to that eventually. After all the Bronze Age stuff and then the Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, Infinity Crusade, Marvel Universe The End, the Thanos Ongoing series, the first one. All the crap with the Atom and the Soul Gems with the Ultraverse, etc, etc, leading up to this. But who knows, plans might change. For now, if anyone's interested, like I said, Infinity Countdown Adam Warlock number 1 comes out on February 7th. The Infinity Countdown Prime comes out on the 21st. And Infinity Countdown 1 comes out March 7th. When you talk about comics, does it sound something like this? Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered red kryptonite yet. And you, uh, you can't put the number 98s with the 300s. Lori the Morris hasn't even been introduced. Or maybe it sounds a little more like this. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? What are you, cracked? Why not? I saw the other day he was carrying five elephants in one hand. Boy, you don't know nothing. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. Yeah, maybe you're right. Would be a good fight, though. Hello, I am the constantly caffeinated Clinton Robison, and my comics discussions can go to both extremes, but generally fall somewhere in between. On the Coffee and Comics podcast, I will review comic stories and other comics-related topics that can be enjoyed over a cup of coffee. So pour the coffee, or other beverage of choice, and join me on the Coffee and Comics podcast, available on iTunes and coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. Alright, well I think that brings us to the end. Yeah, and that's good because I was starting to identify more of the Magus than Adam Warlock. Because <laughs> the Magus was the, do that. Because the Magus was the adult. <laughs> I think that's the end of the episode.
I, I think you're right. I, I don't remember any more episode happening. No. Now, don't worry, everyone. John will be back in, well, if all goes well to plan, in two episodes. And then cool beans. we're saving John back for the next issue where we actually have full Warlock. We only want John for full frontal I'm, Warlock. Full frontal Warlock. <laughs> he's walking around in that hooded, that the, the cloak, and he like has it draped around him and walks up to a girl on the street and says, hey, and opens his cloak and... Well, shows his, light, shows his lightning bolt. Remember, we had talked about this before. And when he comes out of the cocoon wearing these new outfits, I mean, doesn't that mean it's all formed from the same thing? So isn't that technically all Warlock anyway? <laughs> it could be. Could be. All right. All right. Anything you want to tell, talk about, John? Or any appearances you have coming up on anything you want to let people know about? I did this today, and I did the other thing with you on your other show. Yes, which hopefully will be coming out late January. And that's all that I've done recently. So I just, I tweet about the comics I read over at John Reads Comics on Twitter. No H in John. And no H in Reads or Comics for that matter. I'll put a link. Don't worry. They can just click. Awesome. Drop me a follow. All All right, right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Adam meets the loincloth-wearing, cheap-cigar-smoking Pip the Troll. Pip the Troll. Pip the Troll. Pip the Troll. There we go. One of those should be good.